Welcome to the Kosafa Show with Mark Gleason and Nick Say. Welcome to a special edition of the Kasafa Show as we speak to South African coach Shalene Boyson, who is in charge of South Sudan at this year's Kasafa Women's Championship. The East African nation is taking its first tentative steps in international football, and Boyson has been tasked with putting in place the building blocks for their new side. We've seen a number of coaches break out into Africa from the Kasafa region in recent years, but this is a unique project of essentially starting a national team from scratch. The former Banyana Banyana analyst shares her views on that, as well as her personal journey in football that started relatively late in life. Your role with, with South Sudan, um, how did that come about? And, and what have, were kind of your first impressions when you arrived there? I think Desiree and I have been chatting about me taking up a coaching role because I think people have just seen me as an analyst and not so much as a coach. And I kind of wanted to expand my horizons as well, challenge myself to different things. So once I thought about it, I, you know, I started putting out feelers, started reaching out. And then I think uh, my agent alerted me to the fact that South Sudan was actually looking for a head coach, which um, at the time I thought was um, not entirely what I wanted. I'm going to be honest because I wanted to be closer to home. But once I saw what they were doing, it just like, you know, it it, it just stuck on me and it, it just became something that I really wanted to do. So when they put out the advertisement, I kind of applied, they came back to me and I think that's how it all just came together. So yeah, that's how South Sudan and, and myself got together. Yeah, my first impression when I got there was... I was shell-shocked, to be honest with you. I did not think that South Sudan was as underdeveloped as it was. But once I was on the ground and I started meeting the people, it was such a refreshing thing because I think we're a little bit spoiled, especially in South Africa, with all the luxuries and, and, and you know that we enjoy and, and the culture that we have. But going to South Sudan has really opened my eyes to just the challenges that that some people have. And not just in football, I'm talking generally in life. And I mean, it's it's a really poor country. Um, people really struggle there. I think 80, even 90% of the people are not, they, they, they don't have like official jobs. You know, they, they have um, things like... Um, Unofficially, they sell things on the street and and even kids. So I think it was a culture shock for me to see what was going on in South Sudan. But once I got to meet the people, I I was lost. I I just I I fell in love with them, and I just felt like I needed to be there to serve not just the people or not just the footballers, but the people itself. And I'm I'm still I'm still feeling like that at the moment. I'm still excited. I'm still you know passionate about um, just doing what I can to help as many as I can. Yeah. And you've obviously walked into quite a project. I, I stand corrected, but I think South Sudan's women's national team has only been active for the last couple of years. 
So it's really kind of taking over a team that's in its embryonic state and um, you know doesn't doesn't have much international experience and whatnot. What what does that part been like? Well, like I say, coming from an established um, team like like Buff Banyana Banyana, and then going to a team where you basically have to teach players how to pass a ball in the national team, that has been um, yeah refreshing to say the least. But it also gives you an opportunity to build a, a legacy, you know, not for myself, but for the team. Everything we do is history. Everything we touch is history. Everywhere we go, we make history. I mean, we played our first friendly international in this year, which, which made history. We lost it 11-0, but, you know, it wasn't about the scoreline. It was about the fact that somewhere, someone wanted to invest in women's football. And South Sudan, specifically the SSFA, has decided that their women's team and their program will take a huge, on a huge role in developing um, football in the country. So it's, it's like I say, it's, it's refreshing, but it's also very different from what I've done before. I've worked with high-level professionals, so um, going sort of the opposite way instead of, of what people might think is up. I mean, this is what I was born to do. I love working with these girls. I love seeing the, the changes in them, seeing the differences in their, in their thinking. I mean, just telling them that sleep is important. You know, those are things that, that I, they don't really understand why nutrition is important, why you can't eat certain things when you're going to play. They still don't grasp it very well, but I'm trying to instill that with what I've been given in my experiences with different coaches. Yeah, and we, we saw um, the, the club represented in the Sakafa Women's Champions League qualifiers. What is the local sort of league structure like there? Well, in the beginning of the year, they had a national league, but I don't think it's sustainable because the the federation carried the the you know most of the um, financial burden, which I obviously know is not sustainable because even in South Africa, that is an established federation that doesn't happen. So I think this year they will probably go back to you know like a provincial league. They will play in their different LFAs or or provinces, and then at the end of the year, we'll have something similar to what, what Cecil has here. You know, you'll have the Cecil players, and then finally you'll have a winner. So I think that is what the idea is for the new season and the new leagues. And then you spoke a, a little bit about watching the players develop and whatnot, and you haven't been there the longest time, and certainly I'm not sure if the COVID-19 pandemic has, has hit Sudanese football in terms of not offering opportunities for internationals, et cetera. But are you quite pleased with how things have progressed to this point? Um, actually, I am. I am. I, you know, we did our first fitness test about three months ago. These girls were shocked at what a fitness test is. You know, just like a, a normal bleep test that is, is done at under 15, under 17 level for other countries. I mean, these are senior players and, and they've never ran a bleep test or a, 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 um, an intermittent yo-yo test. And so we started doing things that they would normally do if they were professional players. And once we started with that, I mean, some of these players, like I said, 
they had no idea how to push themselves. They had no idea what, what they need to eat to get better. They had no idea what is the type of training that is required. And now, at least, I mean, we're we six months into the program and already you're starting to see the development. You're already starting to see progress. And in six months' time, I mean, from the time we started the first test, I think all of them ran under the 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 norms for 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 internationals not just the norms i'm talking about like really they were just underdeveloped to be honest and now they're closer to where they need to be and more of them are closer than they need to be whereas three four months ago all of them were were under the average of what is required now some of them are above average some of them are on the average. And that for me says that there's progress. And not just in that, just in their thinking, just in the understanding of the game. Because I think some female footballers don't get taught the tactics of football. They just get told to go onto the field and just play. And suddenly now we're trying to retrain their brains to understand why we do certain things. So why do we do certain exercises? Why are we playing small-sided games? Why are we doing rondos, for instance? And why do we have to watch video of other teams? So again, progress. And for me, that's huge. Just teaching players as to why they need to do certain things and seeing the progress as it's unfolding, I mean, you can't be more prouder. Listen, yesterday, I could not be more prouder of these girls. Fighting till the end, um, you know, shaking each other's hands, no shouting and screaming at each other, not getting upset with each other. Those are all things that we're trying to instill in the girls that, you know, we gotta, we've got to make sure that as a team, we, we know what we want, but also instill the culture. If you're going to have a winning culture, you can't have toxic people in the, in the, in the team. So support each other. Even if things go wrong, don't fall apart, but, you know, just keep going, keep going. Because Rome wasn't built in a day, and I think they need to understand that this is a process that will take some time. Yeah, and, and being at something like the Kasafa Women's Championship, where you get a minimum three matches, uh, must be a, a godsend in terms of taking everything that you've done on the training field and, and just trying to teach them more on the pitch. Absolutely. There's no better teacher than playing games. I mean, I know people will look at the scoreline and say, you know, they were hammered 7-0 or they were hammered 5-0. But for us, if we step onto the field and every time we step onto the field, we have to be better than we were in the previous game. So now we will look at what did we do and then um, what went wrong in relation to the plan. Now, when you ask them and they give feedback, you are already thinking, okay, they know what went wrong. So now it's about how can they fix it? Instead of you just trying to fix everything for them, they have to start thinking about football in a different way. And it's, it's, it's refreshing to see that actually happening. And this three games for us is vitally important, Nick, because I don't know that people know that we are not FIFA ranked. And for us to get the FIFA ranking, we have to play teams that are FIFA ranked. So um, we were told to play five teams, and that is exactly what this three games will bring us. So 
after this three games, win or lose, we will be FIFA ranked. And I think when the girls see their names on the FIFA ranking, it will be huge for us. It will be huge for us as a country. It will be huge for us as a federation, but it will be huge for women's football that has never, ever been FIFA ranked. Yeah. I, I, I doubt there's anyone else on the continent who knows more about the opposing teams and whatnot to do with your role, Banyana. I'm sure you, as an analyst and assistant coach, you know, having scouted and whatnot, what kind of potential do you see in South Sudan? And I'm not talking about in the next year or even five years. Do, do you feel like there is the raw talent in the country to make some sort of impression on the continent? I think there is. I, I think if you look at some of our players that, um, I mean, it, it, you know, just just showcase their talents yesterday. When we were bad, we were very bad. But when we were good, we were very good. And those were the glimpses that you could see coming through. Now, if we could consistently be very good, I'm seeing us in the next three, four years making a huge impact in Sekafa. If we come here in four years' time or five years' time, I'm seeing us challenging, actually, the better teams. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's what I think people need to understand, that this process is going to take some time. But when we get there, I mean, I was looking at, I, I was actually talking to someone about this and looking at the differences in, in, in how teams have developed over the years. In 2002, Botswana played their first international friendly. They lost to South Africa and it was a huge score. But, you know, subsequent to that, for the next five to seven years, I don't think they won a game. But that didn't deter them from, you know, progressing. And I think it shouldn't deter us from progressing because I think in the next five years, South Sudan have the experience that is required. They're gonna, they obviously have the talent. There's no doubt in my mind that they have the talent. But we need the experience to push through to fight for things, to, to understand when things are going wrong, how can we rectify them in, in, in a match? And I think that is what I'm, I'm, I'm seeing. I'm seeing that they understand the game, they have the talent, now it's about getting the experience to put that whole package together. Yeah, and obviously, like all of the teams of the Kasafa Women's Championship, I'm sure you are also got one eye on the uh, Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers uh, next month. I think you've got Kenya. Yeah, Kenya, um, yeah. Which really is the start of the journey to, to the World Cup. And, and given what you've just said now, you know, that seems a long shot at the moment. But it also, I guess, allows the girls the chance to dream, you know, to just to be part of the... The process of getting to a World Cup must be incredibly exciting and, and motivational. I don't even think they think about things like that, to be honest with you. I think they just want to play. They just want to play football. They, they obviously, there's some some players in the team that has the dream of, of, of like everybody else. Every time they step onto the field, they want to win. It's not a matter of, oh, we're going to get crushed. Oh, these girls don't know about, they don't have, that kind of baggage and experience yet to know that every game or every team that we go up against is a challenge. Because it is. If you look at it, every team is better ranked than us. Every team has more experience than us. Every team has worked a long time to get where they are. And we did not have that luxury. So I don't think the players yet have that kind of baggage that 
that, that almost pulls them down. For them, it's just about the enjoyment of playing the game and seeing the progress. Like I said, if we look back and we say, okay, what did we do well and what can we improve? They can tell you all those things. They can write it down on a piece of paper and bring it to me and say, coach, this is what I think should. And, and they don't have issues with, you know, like egos and stuff like that because they will talk and say, coach, this person should have done this better or this person. Whereas there's no animosity if that comes up in a meeting. You know, they, they're very free and, and open about what they think we as a team or as individuals, we could have done better. And so for that reason, yes, there's always, I mean, it would be like a, 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 a huge miracle if we even get to the AWC. But miracles has happened before. And, and I'm stepping into this new era with them in a qualification that I also don't think that they've done before. Um, with that in mind, thinking that, you know, this is sort of preparation for that. And so the girls will want to prove themselves over and over and over again. And I will give them the freedom. I mean, I normally do that. I say to them, my task is on the training field. I will shout at you at the training field as much as is, is necessary. But when it comes to the game, you must have the freedom to play as you were told or as you feel like. I can't be monitoring you constantly. Because that is where you express yourself. And so I think when they step onto the field, they just want to play football. Yeah. And talking of just wanting to play football, Coach, uh, if we just turn our attention to you a little bit, where did your journey in the game start? If you think all the way back to, to when you were a youngster, where did your passion for the game come from and, and how did you start playing? Actually, I didn't have a passion for football until very late in, in life. I mean, I only started playing when I was 25 years old. And I mean, a year later, I think I, I, I changed my position even because I was a center back. And then I thought, mm, you know, I'm, I'm a netballer more than anything. So maybe I can do goalkeeping. And then I, I, um, I went over to the goalkeeping department and not very much long after that, I was selected for the national squad. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I tore the ligaments in my knee, which at the time was, was, you know, almost devastating. But again, football for me was not the ultimate. It, it was just something to do. But when I found it, like with everything else in my life, I, I loved everything that I do. I mean, I, I was a netballer. I was a softballer. I was a, a tennis player. I was a swimmer. So I had lots of sports that I, that I took to. But I think when I started playing football, I wanted to know more about the game. And that's the thing that brought me to the coaching side of things and, and you know, just the analyzing side of things. So that's when it all started. And, and I just, as I was playing, I just did loads of coaching courses and, and went to many seminars and, and just wanted to know more about the game. And, and yeah, this is where I am currently because of all those experiences that I went through. Were you from quite a sort of a sporting family? You said you did a whole lot of different things there to, did, were you also no. encouraged to play sport? No, actually, my family was not really sporty. My father was a pastor. So my mother was very, you know, like he was all about the church. And so, no, I think it was just me that, you know, in school, I was that that was just me. And I think my 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 brother, who's 
like two years older than me, he played sports too, but the others were not really, that wasn't like a, we're not a sporting family. So I'm the youngest of eight kids and, and none of the others were really interested in sports. It was just the two of us, the lost bones that felt like, okay, we, we wanted to do, to do different things. And that's, I was also an academic. So it wasn't just sports. I mean, I, I was a huge academic. So for me, that was more important than actually playing sport. But sport was a big part of my life. Yeah. And you, you talked there about academics. Coach, did you did you study at all? Um, actually, I went into engineering, mechanical. But to be honest, the passion was never really that yeah, that big. I, I love everything that I do. But I mean, I started out wanting to be a teacher, then wanting to be a doctor, and ended up being in engineering, because that is what came about. Because um, I worked for a, for, a, for a company, an engineering company for um, close to 25 years before I finally became a full-time coach. Yeah. And well, I suppose, you know, coaching is teaching, isn't it? So it's kind of one of those Absolutely. passions that come out. Absolutely. Uh, and you say you worked there for, for 25 years company before you moved full-time into coaching. So how did that come about then, that you moved full-time into the coaching realm? Well, like I said, when I started playing football, I did a lot of coaching courses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my heart just wanted to be with people. You know, like when you're working in an engineering company where your main focus is basically not people, but 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 um, building things and, and manufacturing. Um, I, I've, I've always had the passion and the dream to do something different. But I also felt like it has to be within God's will. And I, when, I, when I finally decided to do it, I prayed about it a lot. I spoke to a lot of people because at the end of the day, football doesn't pay the bills. It's just something that you do. And especially in the women's game, there's not a lot of money. Um, so I had to, you know, like, I mean, I'm full-time employed in a company that pays me really well. And I'm wanting to give all of that up for something that I'm not even sure I have success at or that's going to pay me. So you kind of have to make decisions and that decisions has to be within the will of, you know, like a higher higher power, because how would you survive if you don't trust um, in a higher power? And that's just what I did. I, I decided to say to God, like, it's all in your hands. And now if this is what you want me to do, I will do it, but you have to take care of me. And I've never looked back. I've never, ever been able to say that God did not fulfill his promise to me because I've never gone hungry. I've never been not paid. I've never not have a job since I left. And that was like, I think maybe eight years ago. And obviously you enjoyed a, a hugely successful time with Banyana before leaving for South Sudan, you know, winning all those soccer cups in a row, the, the FIFA World Cup and whatnot. How would you kind of characterize your time with, with Banyana? How would you describe it? I learned a lot. To be honest with you, I, I learned so much from everybody that I've worked with at Banyana. It started off with Fran Hilton Smith that, you know, like pushed us to do our coaching licenses. And then finally, when we did it, she, she gave us opportunities when Vera Pau arrived to just bring us all in and, and say to Vera, listen, these are the people that you can work with. 
You don't have to take them, but if they are people that you could possibly use, then use them. And I mean, I, I with Vera even, I was, I, I went initially as a goalkeeper coach. Then she brought me in as an assistant coach. Then finally, um, she wanted me as an analyst because I had this analytical side of me that, you know, she said that she really liked and, 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 and gave her another view of the game. So yeah, it, it, it was, it was eye opening to, to see how much there is in football that we didn't know from a South African um, point of view. And then, you know, like I, I got to work with Stuart Baxter, which was also huge for me because he had very specific ideas of how he wanted to, you know, do things. And it, it was obviously different to how Vera wanted to do things, but it was good to see how different coaches work. And then Desra and I have been friends for more than 20 years and we've come a long, long way. We've done all our licenses together. We know each other. We talk to each other every day. And so when she finally got the opportunity to coach Banyana, it was, it was like a no-brainer that I would support her for as long as possible. And I, I mean, when I started thinking about, you know, moving away from Banyana, there was never a time that she wasn't in the loop. There was never a time when I didn't discuss it with her. Like I say, we talk every day and we still talk every day. We still discuss. I still give her feedback on Banyanas, um, you know, just on how they play or or how they're doing. And I watch every game of this. I analyze every game of this. And she will give me feedback when I have little issues that I can't, you know, just deal with. And, and I would call up and say, Des, you know, this is happening. Um, how do I deal with this? And, and she give advice. So, and even Vera at this stage, I mean, I, I have so many coaches that invest back into my life that I am, um, you know, it, it would be criminal of me not to mention them, but um, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's people that want me to succeed and want me to do well. And I think that is what I've learned at Banyana, that you can see things differently, you can view things differently, but at the end of the day, we all have the same vision. We all have the same um thinking about what the outcome needs to be. And I mean, I always say to this, and I always remind her that where Banyana is now is because of, you know, more than 30 years of investment from different people into the development of this program. And I'm hoping that we can get that kind of investment and development into the South Sudan team to see in five years, maybe, the same kind of progress that is that has been seen all over the world. And of course, you you also got to spend some time with Vera and uh, a trio of South Africans: Jean van Veek, Linda Maplalo, and Timmy Katlana at Houston Dash, in what is considered by many to be the the top women's league in the world in the United States. What was that experience like? Uh, working with those type of players, the the, the American players, and all? within Dash. Yeah, that again, it, it was like an eye opener again. I mean, we think we know everything or we think we know a lot until you go to a, a country like that where everything is bigger, everything is better, everything is more, you know, and and I mean, just being able to, to get the opportunity to, um, you know, share with those players 
And actually, one of the players said to the others, I, I took her for a, an individual session when it came to video. And, and she went back and she said to the others, you really must go to Coach Shaleen for a video session. She will open your mind to things that you did not even. And I felt really proud that I had the opportunity to, you know, work with some of the top top players in, in the US. But a lot of those players are also from Canada, England. And just to be able to share a little bit of, of the knowledge that I have and that I have gained with them and them appreciating what I could bring to the team, it was huge for me. It, it was a, you know, it, it, it was... It, it was just amazing. And that kind of experience you cannot buy. Those are things that that you have to experience to actually know what it's about. And, and then just lastly, if you kind of look to the future, you've got this ongoing uh, project at South Sudan, which, which sounds very close to your heart. You know, if you look further beyond that 10 years now from now, you know, do what do you feel like the future does hold for you? Or is it is it, as you say, you know, in God's hands? I do believe it's in God's hands, but I also believe it gives us choices. And I think my biggest role has always been, and, and, and I've always seen myself as someone who is able to develop. And for me, you know, like some people love the attention of going to big countries and, and coaching and, you know, being in the forefront. I think I'm always going to be one of those coaches who who wants to do, to develop the 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 little guy, you know, the the smaller federations, the the um, the menus of of especially in African football. I think I have the passion and the desire to make things. Um, I mean, the the smaller federations don't have a lot of money. So how do you overcome that? And I think I have the passion and the desire to invest in that to get them to a standard where they probably wouldn't have gotten to before. So I think in, in five years, in 10 years, I'll probably still be doing what I'm doing now. It might not be with South Sudan. It might be with another federation who might be struggling to, you know, get get one of the top coaches or one of the, but I'm, I'm happy to, to work from, you know, the bottom up to established programs to make sure that development actually happens and to make sure that people know what type of development is required to get the teams to a, a higher level. That's it for another episode of the Cassava Show. We look forward to your company again in two weeks' time, by which time, of course, we'll know who has been crowned the champions of Cassava senior women's football. That's all happening at Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium. Don't forget you can listen to more of our podcasts on Sokoloduma Radio, Cassava.tv, Spotify, and iTunes. And you can also get the latest news via our website at www.cassava.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok.